Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Our guest on Chicks Talking Footy is Louise Milligan. Louise is an author of two award-winning books, Witness and Cardinal, and is an investigative reporter on the Four Corners program. Well known for covering stories about George Pell and the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Abuse. On Monday night, her latest story called The Silence, AFL's latest taboo, aired on the ABC, and you can find it on ABC iView. Welcome to Chicks Talking Footy, Louise. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Look, let's jump straight in. What was the reason you wanted to create this story about the silence um, you know, around an out homosexual player in the AFL? I had been thinking about this story for a long time, just wondering why it was that, you know, clearly there have to be gay players in the men's competition of the AFL. Statistically, it's impossible that, you know, just because a Sharon hits a football boot that magically that person can't be gay. And I'd always just thought, wow, that'd be such a fascinating story to get my teeth stuck into. And I talked to Sarah Kono, who ended up being the researcher on the film about this years ago. And to be honest, I just assumed that it would sort of happen without me. And, you know, you sort of get stuck doing other stories and... um yeah, I, I thought that the story would happen and year after year after year passed and still no player, you know, was living their life publicly as gay. And, you know, I guess from the outset, it's important to note that I wasn't sort of like going into this, you know, for one of a less kind of offensive term, but like going gay hunting. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I wasn't going <laughs> to find... Someone. I wasn't asking people, are you gay? You know, nothing like that. I was just trying to find out what were the sort of factors that had caused this to happen because these things don't just happen by accident. And, um, and it was really, really fascinating looking at the history and discovering that, yeah, it doesn't happen by accident. And there are policy levers and cultural levers and you know, all sorts of things that contribute to why this is the only major sporting code in the world that doesn't have a single player present or crucially past, um, you know, living their lives publicly as gay. And, and the other thing I would say is this is also not about people coming out necessarily because... I do think that this generation that are coming through now, they they don't sort of tend to do that so dramatically as like say Ian Thorpe did, you know, years ago. It's more about the fact that um, that players are public figures, you know, already. They bring their wives and girlfriends to the Brownlow. The wives and girlfriends have a whole almost, you know, mini industry connected to the fact that they you know, are with players. On Instagram, the players, you know, talk about their girlfriends and other social media. 
mainstream media covers covers their relationships as well with with their sort of consent and buy-in and you're just not hearing this from gay players and I just thought about how even though the clubs tell us and and this is what they did tell us over and over again that there are players who are out to their teammates and they're quite comfortable in that regard and it's a very safe and comfortable space that living your life in a way that means that you have to be constantly hyper-vigilant is a really corrosive way to be. Yeah, so I just really wanted to explore all of that. It was a really fascinating ride through the culture. I mean, I'm someone who I really enjoy football. My, my family are mad Richmond, Richmond fans. We came to Australia from Ireland and Scotland in 1980 and the Tigers won the grand final and my parents went, oh, that'd be good to go for. <laughs> we, <laughs> won't, we won't discriminate against you for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, then, of course, they didn't uh, win again until, you know, 2017. So that it was a long-suffering <laughs> sort of relationship that my family had with Richmond. But, I mean, I was never, like of the whole family, I was probably like the least observant as a, as a, a, a the football religion. Um, and... Um, to be honest, like most players, you know, if they bumped into me on the street, I wouldn't know who they were. <laughs> so just interested in in the same way as a Four Corners reporter, I'm interested in any cultural that affects a lot of people's lives and brings a lot of joy to people's lives. So, yeah, that's, that's where we started from. Well, there's a lot there, Louise. It's Motti here. Um, so a lot of it then is not... As you said, it's not about you didn't go around and ask people who was out and who wasn't. That wasn't your intention. So it wasn't mm. – and it wasn't your intention, yeah, to expose that side of it. So it's almost in, in an academic way, is it, that you're looking at it going, hang on, here's all the pieces of of this mm. game and our lives in 2023 and how come – is that what um, – mm. am I reading that properly? Yeah, that you in, thought, a, in a way that was part of it. I mean, we were looking at it from a – from an academic point of view in some ways because one of the people I spoke to early was uh, Dr. Eric Dennison who is a um, researcher in homophobic language and sport from Monash University and he's one of the country's leading uh, researchers on that. He's almost got a bit of a factory going at Monash University collating data on mm. homophobia in sport and <laughs> he laid out the history for me from... 2000 when there was um, a compliance warning by the Australian government right up to now in terms of what the AFL had done and so I thought that that was a really interesting structure but I also was looking at it from the point of view of the football media over that time and you know what was sort of going on in the game in general. I also was having just a lot of conversations with people in the industry uh, from across the board, like, you know, coaches, CEOs, uh, players, former players, you know, administrators, like all sorts of different people in the industry, uh, commentators, to sort of see what they had to say. And so those conversations weren't academic. Um, and But I allowed them to volunteer information, as I say, rather than trying to kind of out anyone. I, I, I felt that that was really important that I wasn't trying to do that. In the process of doing that, you know, I did come across people who are gay 
I had the conversations with them, but I never asked them that question, if you know what I'm saying. Yes, I do, definitely. So in a part of um, in part of the, the doco, Louise, you had um, Gil McLaughlin made some comments earlier this year about him thinking mm. it would be a burden for the first AFL player who, who were to come out. And that was badly mm. received in, in our community, the LGBTI community, but yeah. I think in the broader football community. So here's what Michael O'Donnell said in your piece regarding that. I lost 15 years because there was no one ahead of me. And if we can have someone come out and stop that happening, there will be, you know, a bunch of young, very talented AFL players who end up in the the top level of the game. And that would be awesome and that would be a great legacy for someone to leave. So it's a lovely term that he said um, he feels it would be a legacy. What do you think? Mm. Do you think the spotlight being on someone would be a burden or a legacy? Where do you feel? Well, I would take my cues from the gay players that we spoke to and and the LGBTIQ plus people that we spoke to because I'm not a gay woman myself. But just sort of having those conversations, I think what they were saying to me was that this was an enormous lost opportunity. That Gil McLaughlin had the opportunity to say in that situation you know, we yes, we do have gay players, which he said, you know, and they're out to their teammates. But for whatever reason, they don't feel like it's a safe enough space, the industry's a safe enough space for them to publicly identify as gay. I am the leader of this institution and I want to hear from you if it's not a safe enough space. What can I do to make it safer? What can I do to make it better? Because you are accepted and loved and wanted by this industry. We want you to feel comfortable in your own skin and we want you to feel comfortable to be able to speak your truth if you wish to. Mm. What can we do better? And that's not what he said. What he said was that it was a burden. He, He described it in a negative way. What I heard from people throughout the industry um, who are you know, gay and lesbian, was it was just like, I can see why you're in the closet and it's probably best if you stay there. That's how they took it. Hmm. I think he meant it like that, by the way. Well, no. I'm sure he didn't mean it, but there's certainly some education that might have to happen at the leadership level. And and, and, I, and I think that uh, that is happening because it was really interesting. I spoke to Tanya Hosh, the Executive General Manager of Inclusion and Social Policy at the AFL, and... At first, I just raised the words. I just read out the sentence that he had said and I didn't sort of put any kind of value judgment or anything like that on it. And I, and she essentially agreed with him and said, well, you know, these guys are public figures. I'm paraphrasing her now, but she said that they were public figures and, you know, it, that it would be difficult for the first person to come out because they've got so much else that they have to worry about you know, having that on top of everything else, you could see why that would be a burden. And then I went back to her and said the comments that I've just said to you now, and it was like the dawning on her face. You know, she hadn't actually thought about it from that perspective, and she thanked me for that positive framing and, and you know, accepted that I guess it was something she kind of needed to take on board. And she did say that Gil... McLaughlin has 
done that. She's seen Gil McLaughlin do that. But the point is, if he hasn't done it publicly, you know, it might not be heard by the right people, i.e. those men who are currently feeling like it's not safe enough for them to live their lives publicly as gay. Well, it, it seems to be that there's, they're not consulting with people before they make statements that affect us. Um, the, you know, the AFL's also appointed a new CEO, Andrew Dillon, went on a worldwide Ooh. search to find someone in the next room. Um, I know. And, you know, uh, I mean, I guess do you, from your research and the work you did in this report, do you get a sense that everything will just continue as is or that, you know, Look, in the I'm next little while? I, yeah. I'm not an expert on, on you know, Andrew Dillon or, or even Gil McLaughlin or the a, AFL hierarchy. I mean, I was looking into a very specific issue but one thing that was reflected back to me was a sense of and this was not just in relation to um the so-called gay issue um because we were looking at other issues as well you know just asking questions about you know gender issues and things like that cultural issues in the afl and certainly when we were speaking to women they felt that you know they 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 worried that there wouldn't be the sort of change that was needed because it's, you know, Andrew Demetriou hands it down to Gil McLaughlin and then Gil McLaughlin hands it down to Mr. Dillon. And so, you know, like it's, it, it's just sort of the boys it's club. a continuation yeah. of, well, I mean, it has been described as a boys club in some quarters and, um, you know, it, it's a very small, tight sort of group and, yeah, doing a worldwide search and then coming up with someone who was, Already there, in all the next along. room, yeah, <laughs> in the next office. It, you know, there are obvious questions to uh, to be asked about that. But personally, I don't think I'm someone who's qualified to to speak about, you know, what he will be like. He, he may sometimes you have situations in leadership where a person is an insider, but but they still have a very different take on things once the reins are handed over. Let's hope we get that from uh, Andrew Dillon. So speaking of men in football, another guy that you spoke to who is, I think I can say, universally loved is Bob Murphy. Mm-hmm. So Bob being yeah. the, the former Western Bulldogs captain and now the Frio Dockers head of footy operations. So he featured quite extensively in the um, story and he was really, mm. I, uh, I thought at times, visibly emotional, uh, oh. visibly angry about the topics. Were you surprised... Mm. That he was, that were his reaction? Not by the time we got on camera because I had been talking to Bob for quite some time. We had been having this conversation over a few weeks. I'd met with him, I'd spoken to him on the phone. He had thought very long and hard about the things that he wanted to say. Uh, to be honest, I thought at one point that he just wasn't going to do the interview because. Usually, when someone takes that long to make a decision, they sort of end up going, oh, it's just too hard. Mm. But he's just a thinker, you know? And he wanted to feel that by the time he sort of made that decision to do what he did, that he was in the right place. And, you know, part of the reason that he wrestled with that was because he was going to tell a story that he was very ashamed of. And he was very conscious of the words that he was going to be using are words that are deeply hurtful 
to people in the gay community, even though he wasn't, even though he is a very strong ally. I but imagine he it, he would have sought counsel with, um, you know, friends and and colleagues in the community. He did. Um, and, yeah. And, as to the, the framing of that, because he was every word he spoke was very considered, which which Bob Murphy is, but he yeah, it was really bubbling right there, wasn't it? He he used. A word, I mean, I don't know. It's up to you guys whether I actually repeat this word because I know... Just say F. It's a word. <laughs> Sorry? With, just say starts with oh, F, no, end with T. It wasn't, the, it, it wasn't the, the, the swear word. It was it was the P word for yeah. a gay man. And there were some people who saw that who were upset by that, even despite the fact that Bob had framed it in a way that he did because... They had grown up hearing those words. Mm. But what I felt strongly as a journalist, um, I felt that the editorial justification for that was what we had also been hearing was that a lot of the time in not just junior football but also within the AFL itself, like I had spoken to a current player off the record who who's a little bit older and he was talking about how Every year you get new young boys coming in They it, and progress is not linear. Like you think that you've overcome the sort of homophobic slur issue in your club and then another kid comes in and he has to say to them, when you think someone's an idiot, call them an idiot, don't call <laughs> them gay. Or if you think someone's being weak, call them weak, don't call them gay. Yeah. Or don't call them one of these other words like the word that Bob used. And interestingly, what he said and also what um, Ian Dunstan, who we spoke to, who was the um, president of the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs, he said that he had brought a kid to the tribunal recently, a 12-year-old. Yeah, I saw that. Used, mm. Yeah, and he used the F word, right? Mm. And and. He, when I say F, I don't mean the swear word. I mean no, the, no, the one, yeah. the one ending in T. He said the kid had absolutely no idea, and I remember actually, like, no idea what it meant. Didn't know that it was a homophobic slur. Just knew that it was something that you said to someone who you didn't like. I remember years ago, my very first Four Corners story that I did was about athletes being depressed after sport, and I interviewed Stephanie Rice for that. And and she had had a scandal where on Twitter she used that same word mm. um, and had this like tearful press conference the next day and you know it it sort of ended her career really and everyone thought she was this like ridiculous princess you know but the thing is um, when I spoke to her she said I went home to my mum and and. I said to mum, I, I had no idea that that meant a gay person. And her mum was like, oh, come on, Stephanie, you know, don't be ridiculous. And she's like, no, I honestly didn't. Mm. And so I do think that using that language in context in the way that Bob did, in some forums, as long as it's a considered forum, is actually helpful in the sense that it might provoke conversations in the home with young people who are watching our show to, to, to get them to understand the history of this language, mm. you know, to eradicate this language from, you know, from their football club and, and also to get not just young kids but also 
parents who are coaching young kids or, you know, officials or whoever the case may be because, as you both know, you know, those words can be said so easily but the the effect that they have on the person listening to them is so devastating and Michael O'Donnell um, summed this up really well as did Jason Ball who, of course, was the... Um, the person who came out in 2012 via a change.org petition, also an amateur footballer, you know, what a person thinks is a throwaway insult, they take to be, they hate me. They don't want me. I can't be my true self because they won't want me in this football club. And hence you have, at the junior footy level, kids self-selecting out the way that Michael O'Donnell told us in our program he did when he was 13 because he looked around and first of all he heard this terrible language but secondly he couldn't see anyone like him or he thought he couldn't see anyone like him therefore you know the levels and what I've been constantly told is that the numbers of people in football who are gay are lower than the general population because of this self-selection you know, that's really tragic mm. if, uh, you know, potentially young fantastic athletes are not participating in football or, or any other sport for that matter because of their sexuality. Now, one more question, Louise, before we let you go. You know, we were part of the broadcast for the first ever AFL Pride game. And at the time, we thought yep. there'll be a flood of people coming out after this. You know, we've the, the place mm. is safe now. Uh, but eight years later, we're still hitting our head against this brick wall. If you were to yep. look at the next you know, 12 months at the AFL, what, what solutions can we put in place? Could they put in place straight away, do you think? Oh, well, I think what the advocates and researchers have said to me and, you know, people in the LGBTIQ plus community more generally is that having a pride round would be a really, really good start because the research shows that pride rounds can definitely influence the culture in a very positive way and can decrease homophobic language by up to 40% um, and and build the, the bridges. I mean, Sarah Kernow, my researcher and I recently discovered that there's a retro round. You know, if they can have a retro <laughs> round, they can have a pride round. Because one of the things that they'll say is, oh, there are too many rounds. It's too difficult having all these rounds and just another round is a problem. This one would make a really big difference and the research shows it would make a big difference. At the moment, as you're aware, there's only the pride match between... St Kilda and the Sydney Swans. The women's game has a pride round. You could argue that it needs it less in a way because there are dozens and dozens of women in AFLW who, you know, identify publicly as lesbian and there have been four players who've identified as non-binary. You know, when you contrast with that with the men's game, it is a very, very stark contrast. It sure um, is, Louise. That's a that's a. It's our prob- it's our Christmas, isn't it? Yeah. Footy, it's our footy Christmas. <laughs> um, the guy, you, you, the, uh, you're right about that pride round, and I think it's visible and it's wonderful. So mm. anyone that uh, follows male football should probably have a have a think about attending that game, or else getting to the the pride round for the AFLW um, season 
uh, which launches next week. So, um, Louise, thank you very much for joining us. If anyone wants to see Louise's story, you can catch it on iView. It's called The Silence and it's very compelling viewing and I urge everyone to have a look at it. Thanks very much. Oh, thanks so much for your support and, um, you know, for for <laughs> having me on. I mean, it it's it's a story that, I don't know, like it'll stay with me for a long time. And although there are parts of the film that will make you angry, there are parts of the film that are quite heartbreaking, there are also so many parts of the film that just gave me so much hope and people who were sort of, you know, blasting down the walls of toxic masculinity, both gay men and straight men, you know, the likes of Bob Murphy and Brock McLean, who also spoke, Michael O'Donnell, Jason Bull, and also the excellent AFLW players that we spoke to as well, Izzy Huntington and Tilly Lucas-Rod, um, those people just really, really make my heart swell and, um, you know, remind me and re- reminded all of us who worked on the program what a wonderful game it is and it's full of some really great people and um, I just want it to be a positive experience for young men who don't identify as straight. Mm. Thank you so much, Louise. We really appreciate your work and, um, you know, I know it means a lot to a lot of people. Thanks so much. Well, thanks, guys. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.